Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, June 30th, 2023 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, how much social interaction do you actually need? From Vox. And how to prevent a stroke from Consumer Reports on Health. Plus, is peanut butter good for you? From USA Today. And more, time permitting. Here's our first report. How much social interaction do you actually need? You don't need to make new friends to have a fulfilling social life. By Ali Volpe from Vox. Loneliness has been cast as many things. An epidemic, pervasive, a public health crisis, even deadly. Exacerbated by social distancing measures during the pandemic, the loneliness narrative predates 2020. A 2010 study found that those with weaker social relationships had a higher risk of early mortality than those who did not. A 2018 study raised the alarm on social isolation, revealing that nearly half of Americans were considered lonely. The dangers of loneliness are innumerable. Social isolation is associated with the greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, and anxiety. Just recently, the U.S. Surgeon General released a report stressing the threat of social isolation, as well as offering a potential roadmap charting a way out of the loneliness epidemic. Almost everyone feels lonely on occasion, but chronic loneliness is a consequence of ongoing isolation brought on by busyness, depression, a significant life change, like a move, a breakup, the birth of a child, or some combination of all of the above. Some people's lives are particularly isolating, especially if they live alone, work remotely, and don't often interact with others. On the other hand, too much social interaction can be equally draining. An essential aspect of a well-balanced social life is alone time, a chance to recharge, according to research. A teacher who interacts with students and colleagues all day may not have the bandwidth to volunteer to lead a birding walk. Protecting your energy and time is just as crucial as maintaining social connections. To be a good friend, you have to have the emotional bandwidth to show up for others, absent resentment or obligation. Fending off both loneliness and social exhaustion is a highly specific endeavor. Because everyone's social lives and social desires vary so greatly, researchers are unable to prescribe a set amount of interaction for a fulfilled life. Only we can identify our right dose of time spent with others. We are the Goldilocks to our social lives, trying out different combinations of people and conversations and social contexts. However, we often aren't paying enough attention to our interpersonal interactions to determine whether we're feeling socially satisfied. It isn't until we're in the depths of loneliness or socially overextended that we realize we need something. A life-affirming talk with a friend, a few pleasantries with a stranger on the bus, or a weekend alone with a good book. 
The really ironic thing is a lot of people don't have that self-insight, which is shocking because we've interacted with people our whole lives. We have friends and we have partners, and a lot of what we do every day is talking to other people, says William Chupik, a social personality psychologist and an associate professor at Michigan State University. I don't think a lot of people sit down and really take stock of the exact amount of social interaction that makes them comfortable, he says. Being intentional with your interpersonal contact and maintaining a variety of conversation partners are crucial to supporting a healthy social life. Keeping loneliness at bay requires a nominal yet committed effort. At the end of a day, week, or month, take stock of with whom you socialized, what kinds of interactions you had, and whether you feel emotionally satisfied to get a clearer picture of your social intake. How many types of people do you regularly interact with? At the core of every social interaction is the people who comprise it. Each category of conversation partner, from strangers to romantic partners, all have a role to play in your social ecosystem. A 2022 study found that the more relational diversity a person has in their social repertoire, the higher their well-being. Using the analogy of a social portfolio, Harvard Business School doctoral candidate Hanny Collins and her colleagues found when people socialize with a range of conversation partners, family members, co-workers, friends, and strangers, on a given day, they report feeling happier than those who converse with fewer categories of people. If I had 10 conversations yesterday, 8 conversations with colleagues, and 2 with friends, then I would have low relational diversity because there's only two relational categories present, Collins says. On the other hand, the more relationally diverse portfolio would be if I had two conversations with colleagues, two with friends, two conversations with a partner, two with strangers, maybe two with my parents. There's more categories present, and I'm more evenly spreading my time across those categories, she says. While the study didn't measure the duration of each interaction, Collins considers any conversation beyond exchanging how do you do as a social connection. In a similar 2020 study, Jeffrey Hall, a professor of communication studies and the director of the Relationships and Technology Lab at the University of Kansas, found that people who reported higher levels of well-being and life satisfaction interacted with more people overall. More interactions with close friends and family were associated with lower levels of loneliness as well. However, empty nesters, remote workers, or introverts aren't inherently lonely, and even married people or those who are not depressed report feeling lonely, according to a 2012 study. Similarly, a 2019 study showed that 71% of homebound survey respondents said that despite living alone, they did not feel lonely. Many reported relying on a network of people they trusted completely. More social engagements are beneficial to a point. Over the course of eight studies, published in two papers that examine the physical and emotional impacts of social interaction, Olga Stavrova and her co-authors found that people get the most benefit from as little as one social event a month. According to this data, says Stavrova, an associate professor in the Department of Social Psychology at Tilburg University, if you go out several times a month, that would be enough for you to reach a happiness level that social contact can bring you, she says. 
daily or even weekly social events don't materially improve well-being. Instead, you might feel overextended. What happens is that people report worse health. Stavrova says, "They say they feel physically less well." She says, "Everyone's lives are structured differently and sometimes don't provide an opportunity to interact with a diverse set of people. Parents with a new baby maybe can't prioritize weekly catch-ups with old friends and leisurely chats with workers at the grocery store." A recent college graduate who relocates to a new city might not have the benefit of a face-to-face social network. You may need to be intentional in seeking out social opportunities, Hall says. Whether that's scheduling a call with your mom, setting a monthly lunch date with a friend, or even asking a stranger if you can pet their dog on your daily walk. Making a constant effort toward being social will pay off, even if it doesn't result in a best friend, Hall says. What kind of conversations are you having? A quality conversation is just as important as the quantity of conversations. In his 2020 study, Hall found that meaningful interactions like laughter-filled hangouts or emotional discussions adequately keep loneliness at bay. The most effective mode of communication for these interactions is to have them face to face. Although a phone call is a close second, Hall found in a 2022 study. The most impactful thing to do is to have a meaningful conversation with someone you really like face to face every day, Hall says. However, what the evidence also suggests is that just doing any one of those three things—face to face or with someone who's close to you or quality conversation with a stranger—will do, he says. Access to your inner circle for these significant discussions is highly dependent on your living situation. Those who live with a partner, roommates, or other family members have greater opportunity for a deep conversation than those who perhaps only interact with their coworkers through a computer screen. Our daily lives are no longer structured in ways that we are routinely in contact with one another. We instead have to make a choice about it. Hall says. Even if you can't see someone you care about in the flesh on a daily basis, Hall suggests interacting IRL with at least one person a day, no matter how well you know them. Texts and social media will never replace the embodied experience of connecting with someone, but they can help fill in the gaps. Hall says, texting can be used to mitigate loneliness, but according to his research, doesn't have the same impact as face-to-face quality time. The best way to prioritize quality interactions is to make them a regular part of your social routine. A recurring hangout, like a monthly meetup at the park with your friends and their kids, or a quarterly FaceTime with a former college roommate, helps keep your social calendar full of ongoing events. Schedule the next get-together before the current one ends, while everyone is together. Don't break the cycle and bail on plans at the last minute. While it can be painful to be on the receiving end of a flaky friend's cancellations, Hall says you should continue to put yourself out there socially. If you feel like you lack a network of supportive people that you can see regularly in person, making an effort to chat with strangers or acquaintances can help you feel more connected, and these contacts may eventually blossom into friendships. But chronically lonely people who lack a desire to interact need the help of a mental health professional. Hall says. Do you feel socially fulfilled at the end of the day? To determine if you're feeling socially fulfilled, check in with yourself regularly. 
Reflect on your day or week, Collins suggests. What were the most satisfying social moments, the most lonely? Use this insight to adjust your social calendar. After a day of meetings, chatting with other parents at your kid's soccer practice, and then dinner with the in-laws, you may feel tapped out. While some events are non-negotiable, you may want to evaluate how you schedule the social engagements that are within your control. If you've gone out the fourth or fifth time in a week and you feel like your batteries are drained and you feel like you don't have enough energy, part of it is getting people to acknowledge that, Chopik says. Then they'll say, going out four nights a week is a little too much for me, or I realized if I stay past 9 p.m., that's when I really fall apart and embarrass myself and I get too tired, he says. Perhaps the biggest indicator of needing more social interaction is simply feeling lonely. When you have a day you're feeling lonely, Hall says, it's actually really important to respond to that in ways that are seeking social contact, he says. Make plans with a friend. Call your mom. Talk to someone in your yoga class. In a 2019 study, Chopik gave participants social challenges to increase their levels of interaction. Asking a friend to get coffee, downloading the Meetup app and going to an event, and organizing a social outing with friends were effective means of becoming more socially active. Collins says to take advantage of the social opportunities that naturally arise in your day-to-day life. Notice the people walking their dogs in the morning while you head to your car or send your kids to the school bus, the employees at the library, or your favorite lunch spot. Try saying hello, then maybe graduate into a longer chat in a week or so. We are all put in situations where we could potentially have a social connection, Collins says. Over time, we create these different types of social connections in our lives if we're able to foster them in the moments that arise, Collins says. Up next, how to prevent a stroke, the meds, foods, and moves that are key, from Consumer Reports on Health. Every 40 seconds, someone in the U.S. has a stroke, and about three-quarters occur in people ages 65 or older. As people age, their arteries have a tendency to become less flexible, says Doris Chan, D.O., an interventional cardiologist at NYU Langone Hospital, Brooklyn. This hikes the risk of an ischemic stroke, the most common type, when a blood vessel to the brain becomes blocked by a blood clot. But about 80% of all strokes are preventable, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And the lifestyle steps you take can be especially powerful in fending off stroke. Here's what you can do now to reduce your risk. Keep an eye on these issues. Keeping certain conditions at bay or managing them properly can cut the likelihood of a stroke. Take high blood pressure, for example, which some research suggests is responsible for almost half of all strokes. A heart-healthy eating plan may help control it. Also, try to limit sodium to less than 1,500 milligrams a day, maintain a healthy weight, and exercise regularly, says Sahio Kara, MD, an interventional cardiologist at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. If your blood pressure is high even with the above measures, ask your doctor what levels you should strive for and whether meds are appropriate. Staying out of the hypertensive range can be challenging with age due to the higher potential for medication side effects. While blood pressure below 120 over 80 can reduce cardiovascular risk, 
That target should be adjusted if side effects like dizziness occur, says Hardik Amin, MD, an associate professor of neurology at the Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut. Another important condition to watch for is atrial fibrillation, an irregular and often rapid heartbeat which affects at least 10% of people over age 80, according to a 2022 study in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. People with AFib are about five times as likely to have a stroke. A heart-healthy lifestyle can reduce that risk, but older adults may still develop it, so report heart palpitations, chest pressure, shortness of breath, and dizziness to your doctor right away. Because AFib is sometimes symptomless, the American Heart Association says people over 65 should have a yearly electrocardiogram to check for the condition. Treatments include blood thinners and procedures like non-surgical electrical cardioversion or the surgical implantation of a pacemaker. Type 2 diabetes and high cholesterol make you more prone to having a stroke as well, so it's also important to get them under control, says Nisa Goldberg, MD, Medical Director of Atria, New York City, a healthcare organization. Get enough physical activity. Exercise can help you maintain a healthy weight, and being overweight or obese is itself a stroke risk, especially for those who carry a lot of fat around the middle. Even normal-weight women with abdominal fat may have a higher stroke risk, the American Stroke Association says. The CDC recommends at least 150 minutes of moderate activity, such as walking, each week. Small bursts of movement like vacuuming count, Goldberg says, and stay on your feet as much as you can. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2022 found that people who sat for 13 hours a day or more had a 44% higher risk of stroke. If you've been very inactive, start slowly, adding 500 steps at a time. You don't have to get them in all at once, says Aaron Dooley, Ph.D., an assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham School of Public Health. Just walking down the hallway every so often will have benefits, she says. Eat for health. The best way to eat for stroke prevention is probably the Mediterranean diet and reduced salt intake, Kara says. The diet is rich in whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and legumes, plus heart-healthy fats like olive oil and small amounts of animal protein, particularly fish. Among the studies on the Mediterranean diet is one published in The Lancet in 2022, which looked at people with heart disease. It found that among those who followed this eating pattern for seven years, the risk of a major cardiovascular event like a heart attack or stroke fell by 26% compared with those on a low-fat diet. Watch your alcohol intake. Generally, high alcohol consumption more than 14 drinks for women and more than 21 for men per week is linked to a higher stroke risk, according to a study published last year in the journal Neurology. Most older adults should limit their intake to one drink per day, Goldberg says. And space those drinks out. Binge drinking, which the CDC defines as four or more alcoholic beverages in a short period of time for women and five or more for men, raises heart attack and stroke risk, Goldberg says. And if you smoke, work towards stopping. While smoking doubles the likelihood of dying from a stroke, the risk goes down to that of a non-smoker's in as little as five years after quitting.
Avoid pollutants. Even short-term exposure to air pollution may raise your stroke risk, according to a review published in 2022 in the journal Stroke. So check the air quality in your area on sites like airnow.gov and on high pollution days, limit your time outdoors. When indoors, use exhaust fans in the bathroom and kitchen, vent clothes dryers, and consider an air purifier. Control stress. High stress is associated with an increased stroke risk, says research that was published in 2022 in the Journal of the American Medical Association Network Open. The study found that one stressful life event raised the likelihood of stroke by 17 percent, while two hiked it to 31 percent. To ease stress, Goldberg recommends using mindfulness-based apps such as Smiling Mind, which lets you do calming meditation whenever you want. A 2020 study published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health found that these apps may also help reduce blood pressure, a key stroke risk factor. Know the danger signs. It's important to know the signs of a stroke and to get emergency help right away if you experience them. The American Stroke Association uses the acronym FAST, or F-A-S-T, to help people remember several key signs. They are F for face drooping, A for arm weakness, S for speech difficulty, T for time to call 911. Some people may have additional symptoms as well. These can include the following, numbness of the face, arm, or leg, especially on one side of the body, confusion, trouble seeing, trouble walking, severe headache. If you notice any of these symptoms, call 911 immediately or have someone call, even if they're mild and subside within a minute or two, as they often do with a mini stroke. And what is a mini stroke? If you think you might be having a transient ischemic attack or a mini stroke, call 911. You should be evaluated immediately. Almost one in five people with a possible TIA will have a full stroke within three months. It's hard to diagnose a TIA for sure, says Hardik Amin, MD. Symptoms often fade by the time people reach an ER. Here are key tests that may be done there. Brain and blood vessel imaging. MRIs show that up to 40% of people whose symptoms have resolved have, in fact, had a stroke, which probably hikes their future stroke risk, says Amin, author of a recent AHA scientific statement on TIAs. Blood work to rule out hypoglycemia and to screen for conditions such as diabetes and high cholesterol. An electrocardiogram to check heart rhythms if a TIA is suspected. TIA patients are likely to be prescribed aspirin and meds for risk factors like high blood pressure. They should see a neurologist, ideally within 48 hours of discharge. There's a high risk of stroke in the days following a TIA, Amin says. Up next, from Consumer Reports on Health, sweet swaps for a healthier heart. Every 5% of daily calories from added sugar raised the risk of a heart attack by 6% and a stroke by 10%, according to a study of 110,497 adults. 
but the researchers found that replacing those calories with food that has naturally occurring sugars, like dairy products and fruit, could cut heart attack risk by 5% and stroke risk by 9%. And the source is BMC Medicine. And also from Consumer Reports on Health, quitting caffeine? Brew this. When 61 people gave up their three-cup-a-day coffee habit, those who drank a cup of decaf instead had milder withdrawal symptoms, drowsiness, fatigue, and coffee cravings than those who drank water. Researchers say the aroma and warmth of decaf may have tricked their brains into feeling better. And the source is the Journal of Psychopharmacology. Folks, I'm so sorry I ran out of time and could not read the article, Is Peanut Butter Good For You? But come back next week and I will read that and other interesting human health stories. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.